Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, you're getting hot, man. You were so close. No one's good but God. You're saying I'm good, so hmm, could it be I'm God? Well, Jesus, of course, knows who he is, and he wants this guy to know who he is. So he's asking a very important question. How do I get from here to eternity and make sure that I'm with you or with the Father in it? And he's saying, well, first you gotta figure out who I am. In today's broadcast, we have part two of Pastor Sam's message, Overcomers. We're in Luke chapter 18, and we will take up today in verse 15. We're going to go through the end of the chapter today, and we'll look at several important teachings from our Lord, including his discussion with the rich young ruler and how, with God, all things are possible, among other topics. So let's listen in. And what happens here is interesting in light of in the last chapter, Jesus warns his disciples and others listening in not to put a stumbling block or not to do anything that would hinder someone in their coming to or growing in Jesus. And here we have parents bringing their infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. Can you imagine? You bring your kids in and you're like, hey, pastor, would you mind dedicating my son? And, and, and Bud and the guys come over and say, we rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Sam's a busy man. Don't be asking him to. Well, that would be bizarre, wouldn't it? How much more bizarre when it's Jesus? No, they're, they're saying, hey, Jesus doesn't have time. We might be able to get you in at four o'clock, but, you know, come back and make an appointment. No, Jesus called to them and said, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them for of such is the kingdom of God. Do you know that when Moses faced off with Pharaoh and Moses said, hey, God said to tell you, let my people go that they might worship me, that they might serve me. Pharaoh said, I don't know the Lord and I won't let these people go. Who's the Lord that I should obey him? And God said, well, stand back and I'll show him. So he does. And in the midst of the judgments that fell on Pharaoh and on Egypt, Pharaoh offers Moses four compromises. You should go and read it later. It's fascinating read. And, and it's there in Exodus. I'm just start in the beginning and read till you see the four. Look for them. Pharaoh four different times comes and says, okay, okay, okay. Here's what I'm willing to do. Here, let's, let's work a deal. Let's see what we can do to get you out there worshiping God. The third of the four compromises is this. He says, look at your men. You want to go. You go out and you worship. Do whatever you want but you leave your kids behind with me. Now listen, Pharaoh knows one of two things is gonna happen. Either they're gonna go out and not come back, well, then he has their kids, or they're gonna go out and come back, then he has them and their kids. And I wanna tell you, Pharaoh in that story is a type of Satan, and the, the picture is the enemy is out to destroy marriages, he's out to destroy families, he's out to destroy children. And Jesus is saying, bring those kids to me, that's what the kingdom's all about. You know we believe this when you look around and find out there's 800 kids in our church and that's just up to sixth grade. We believe the kingdom's about children and you obviously do too because you're bringing your children, not just to church, but to Jesus. And, and that's the call here. That's the example to follow. If you're a parent, your number one priority should be making sure your kids are rooted and, and established in Jesus. But he says something else here and, and, and that is, well, he says, assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, those words, little child, very important, will by no means enter it. You know, 
You don't have to wait till the teen years for your kids to get complicated. If you have kids and, you know, they're 9, 10, 11, you know, already there's starting to be some serious complication. Not saying that's all bad. They just start to think. They get introspective. A lot's going on. But you look at little, little kids, the kids in the preschool down here, the two and three-year-olds. They are absolutely full of faith and, and they're humble and they're dependent and, and they're, they're just simple, there's a purity. Yes, they're little sinners, but they don't even know that yet. There, there's just a purity that's so wonderful. You know, Wednesday night, they, they were doing a, um, a, a little prayer thing with the kids, and they created a sheet, and you were supposed to put who you want to pray for on the sheet. And it was so cute. My little two-and-a-half-year-old grandson, Eli, was in there. And, and, I, and so he brings me the sheet, and it says, pray for cat in the hat. And I'm like... Only a two and a half year old would ask prayer for Cat in the Hat. And, and his mom said, oh, he probably wants me to let him watch it. I don't like him to see that anymore, you know. And, and I'm like, no, I don't think that's it. Because when I watched it with him, see, I'm the guilty one. But when I watched it with him, I was like, look, he's messing up the house. That's not good. Because I'm trying to teach him to put everything back and all that. And he's like, yeah, that's not good. He repeats everything I say. So he's in there and he's like, man, this, this guy needs to repent. Pray for him. But I love that, even though it's a fictional character, even though it's Dr. Zeus, the, the heart is right. This isn't right. He needs to repent. He needs to change. And Jesus is saying we need to be more like that, not childish, but childlike, full of faith that we could persist in prayer and that we can bring our kids and that they really will walk with the Lord, that things will really be what he intended. Well, the third is overcoming misplaced priorities by loving God more than anyone or anything else. And we're told there was a certain ruler who asked him saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, Jesus is the master communicator. So note his response to this question. Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. Jesus could have said, believe in me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. Follow me. But he asked him a question and he often does this. Why are you calling me good? You see, no one is good but God. Jesus knows it. This rich young ruler knows it. And what Jesus is doing is saying, you're so close. Remember, you used to play hide and seek. If you have grandkids, you get to play all that again. And uh, I've been doing it. And you know, when you're playing, it's like if they're getting far away, you go getting cold, getting colder. And when they get close, you go getting warm, getting hot. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, you're getting hot, man. You were so close. No one's good but God. You're saying I'm good. So... Hmm, could it be I'm God? Well, Jesus, of course, knows who he is, and he wants this guy to know who he is. So he's asking a very important question. How do I get from here to eternity and make sure that I'm with you or with the Father in it? And he's saying, well, first you've got to figure out who I am. And then he says, you know the commandments, because this guy's about that. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. Now, this is the second table of the law. It has to do with our relationship to one another. And he mentions five of the six commandments in that second table. The only one he doesn't mention, well, that's the one that this guy's going to have to deal with, see? And, and it's like, if he was really thinking, he'd say, hey, you forgot one. And, uh, and he'd say, yeah, well, good, glad you mentioned it. But, but that isn't what happens. He just says, all these I've kept from my youth. And I just jotted in my notes, wow. All these I've kept from my youth. You know, the other passage that deals with this guy and this issue says Jesus looked at him and loved him. He didn't rebuke him. He didn't say, that's not true. 
He loved them. And so he says, having heard these things, you still lack one thing. Can you imagine that? If the Lord were to say, hey, let's talk for a minute. I got one thing I want to deal with in your life and everything's going to be what I intend after that. I've joked with you and shared with you in the past that for years, my little adopted daughter, Star, and then my little grandniece, Kizzy, spent tons of time with both of them. And they'd say, oh, we love you or I love you. And I'd be like, what's not to love? And there's Pam in the background. And I'd be, I've got a list, you know, and but the, the, the deal is God has a list. I mean, he knows everything about us. And, and what's happening here? He's saying, I just have one thing that's keeping you from, from eternal life, from the kingdom of God, from following after me. It, it says, he says, uh, one thing you lack, sell all you have and distribute to the poor. He doesn't leave it there. He says, you'll have treasure in heaven. He's saying, trade your earthly treasure for heavenly treasure, your temporal treasure for eternal treasure. Sell it, distribute it. You will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Saying, I want eternal life. He's saying, that's about me. But in order to follow me, you're going to have to do what I've required of everyone else. And that's deny yourself, take up your cross, and then you can follow me. In this guy's case, denying himself meant selling all that stuff. Now, this is what's so interesting. He had affirmed that he'd kept all of the commandments in the second table of the law, except no doubt the one Jesus didn't mention. Do you know what that 10th commandment is? Not to covet, not your neighbor's goods or his stuff, not even your own stuff is the bottom line. You can't covet. You can't love stuff more than you love God. And if you're saying, hey, deja vu, didn't we just talk about this recently? Oh, absolutely. And we just talked about prayer recently. And we talked about the importance of bringing your children to Jesus recently. And here it is again. But you're seeing it's in context. It's not me just bringing it up again. It's him bringing it up again. That means something. That means he really wants us to, to focus in on these things. If they're coming again, and so what happens? He's violating the 10th commandment. He's violating the first and second commandment because he's made an idol of his possessions. And he's violating the greatest commandment. He's not loving the Lord as God with all his heart and soul and mind and strength. Or he'd be willing to give up anything in order to please him. And he's not loving his neighbor as himself or he'd be willing to give all that away. And here's the real irony of the passage. If he'd been willing to give it all away. That's the kind of guy God will give a hundredfold to anyway. It might not have to wait to the, the time to come. It's just that, hey, there's a guy I can trust. I'll give him more so he can distribute even more. But he says, you just have this one thing. And then it says, when he heard this, he became very sorrowful for he was very rich. We'll read in a minute that Jesus himself is very sorrowful. So you see the heart of our Lord, even when someone disobeys or disregards his command. And there's something the Lord showed me here. And, and, it's, and it's clear, I'm sure, to you as well. I mean, if you're a hundred heir, it's probably a little easier to give it all away than if you're a millionaire. But, but, but the deal is, even those who failed to overcome knew exactly what Jesus required of them. And so this is still a, a wonderful illustration of what Jesus requires to overcome. Dealing with misplaced priorities, putting him on the throne where he belongs, caring for him and others more than ourselves or our stuff. Even those who failed to overcome knew what Jesus required to do so. Well, the fourth area is overcoming preconceived ideas by listening to and learning from Jesus. And Again, we see something that he's addressed earlier. The disciples are going to be confused because in their mind, 
We touched on and taught on this. In their mind, if you're rich, you're blessed by God. If you're struggling, you're not blessed by God. So they see this guy who's exceedingly rich. And Jesus says in verse 24, having become very sorrowful himself, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, years ago, when I was a young Christian and just starting to teach, I heard a story about a gate there in Jerusalem and, and it was so low that the camel had to, to, you know, kneel down to get through it. And I thought, oh, that's an awesome illustration. It works with the humility thing and it shows this and it shows that. Here's the only problem. Somebody just made it up. And I heard them and I thought, oh, that's awesome. So I shared it and then other people heard it and they shared it. And, and, and well, I was far down the chain. I'm not saying it was high up. So a lot of people shared it because I did. But what I'm saying is, you could hear it all over Christian radio. You could read it in Christian books, but it was just a story. And it's actually okay if you were to say, wouldn't it have been interesting or, or imagine this, that would be fine. But we heard it and then we shared it because, well, it just made sense to us. But the, the sad truth is that story was just made up. There was no gate and the camel never knelt down to get through it. And, and, and so, well, I like my buddy Gail Irwin's take on this. He says, by the way, and it's true, you can't actually put a literal camel through a literal eye of a needle. And I think Jesus means this to be literal. He's saying, hey, this is how hard it is. Now, how do you get a camel through the eye of a needle? He says, you can do it, but you got to grind them up really small first. So that's how this works, you see. By the way, Jesus is, isn't saying it's impossible. He's just saying it would be easier. And then those who heard it said, who then can be saved? This goes to their, their idea that, hey, riches are the sign of God's pleasure. So he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Aren't we grateful for that? That what we can't do or process or put together or make happen, God does it. And then Peter says, and I, I really like him. I, I understand him. And he says, see, we've left all to follow you. It's like, hey, Lord, what about us? What's in it for us? And he says to them and he says to us, assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who's left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. He's saying, you put me first, you forsake all to follow me as they did. He said, I'll multiply it all back to you in this life and in the life to come. And I found because we've had the opportunity to travel, whether it's India or whether it was England or Belize or Juarez or Israel. We have family there. God has multiplied our family because we're in Christ. And when I leave this family that I so dearly love and have spent 30 years of my life, you know, well, 25 here, but 30 years of my life ministering to God's people. The reality is I just go from this to, to another group of people that I don't know as well, but Love just as much. Why? Because they're God's people and it's reciprocated. Well, the next, the fifth of our seven is overcoming the power of sin and death through the cross. And this, by the way, the only way to overcome the power of sin and death. Jesus takes the 12 aside and, and he says, we're going up to Jerusalem and all things, verse 31, that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. Now he's been telling them for months and years, we're going up, I'll be handed over, I'll be crucified, but I'll rise again the third day. They never put it together and they're still not going to even here. But, but what happens is, as he gets closer and he's close, 
They're, they're entering into Jericho. Next study, they'll pass through Jericho. They're on the Jericho road. They're not far from Jerusalem. And Jesus last week prior to, well, he, you know, all, all that, that, that takes place, his death, his burial, his resurrection, we're getting close to the end and he knows it. So he gets much more specific. He says he'll be delivered to the Gentiles. He'll be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They'll scourge him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. It's a more detailed revelation and he wants them to know that the way to overcome and the only way to overcome the power of sin and death will be through the cross. He was crucified for us. How do we overcome the power of sin and death? We see ourselves crucified with him. He identifies with us and dying for us. We identify with him. Well, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. We see that he died for us and that we, well, we identify with him in that death for our sin. They'll scourge him. They'll kill him. You know, Jonah and type pictured and, and, and was a, a type of the, the, the reality of Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus will say so as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Psalm 22 begins with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those words he first utters from the cross. And then it describes in graphic detail the crucifixion and the events surrounding it. Isaiah 53 and many other passages do the same. So I'd suggest to you, Jesus knew exactly what lie ahead. He tried to tell his disciples, but again and again, we read the same thing, verse 34. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them. They did not know the things that were spoken, not until the resurrection. And so what's Jesus doing? He's patiently instructing them again and again and again. And they're not getting it, but what does he do? He just keeps on instructing them. So if you're not getting it, hey, we're just going to keep on sharing it. And if you know people who aren't getting it, just be patient and keep on praying and keep on sharing. Finally, overcoming personal limitations by seizing the opportunity before us. There would be no way for the blind beggar that we are introduced to in this section, the last little story in chapter 17, to know that this would be his last chance. Jesus was entering into Jericho. He'd pass through Jericho. He'd go up to Jerusalem and he would be crucified. He would never leave that city alive. And so here's, here's what happens. He's coming near Jericho. A certain blind man sat at the road begging, hearing a multitude passing by. He asked what it meant. They tell him, no doubt, it's Jesus. You know what you've heard about him. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. He cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, by the way, is personal name. It means he will save his people from their sins. Kind of a cool name, you know, as you go to school and it's like, John, you know, Joe, he will save his people from their sins. It's like, that's, that's what would be happening here. Son of David is a messianic title and everybody there would have gotten this. He wasn't just saying, hey, I know you're a descendant of David, son of David. That's the Messiah. That's the promised one. And he's saying, Jesus, Messiah, have mercy on me. And those who went before him warned him that he should be quiet. Here's another group hindering someone from coming to Jesus. And he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he'd come near, he asked him saying, what do you want me to do for you? Now, there's no doubt Jesus knew what he wanted. 
But what's Jesus doing then? He's giving him an opportunity to demonstrate his faith by testifying that he believes Jesus can give him sight. Why would he even think that? Maybe he'd heard about other things Jesus were doing. Maybe he just had put it together that this guy has to be the Messiah. And, and of course, part of the way he validated and verified who he was was through the miracles he worked. They were prophesied in the Old Testament and, and he was doing those very works. So, so he's giving him a chance to say, Lord, I know what you can do. And that's exactly what he does. Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. So I wonder, the rich young ruler comes and Jesus says one thing. And, and this guy says, hey, could you just do one thing? And, and having done it, he begins to, to follow Jesus and to glorify him. What might be hindering you today? What would God be saying? Hey, do this or deal with this. Or what would you come asking? He's saying, do you want to be made whole? Because he's the one who can accomplish all that. Well, we have a seventh and I got to conclude with it. But I want you to go over to Revelation 12 for it. It's overcoming the enemy of our souls by the blood Jesus shed, the truth he declared, and our faith in him. You should know when it comes to spiritual warfare, we're instructed to submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. But we have a picture here that points us to the future, and yet it looks back on how it's always been and will always be. Revelation 12, 7 says, War broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. The dra dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. And the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast down to the earth. His angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven. Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and that they did not love their lives unto the death. By the blood of the lamb, redeemed and washed in the blood of the lamb. Isaiah, come let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, I'll wash them white as snow. By the word of their testimony, do you know when Pharaoh was ruling, it was all about worshiping Pharaoh? Do you know when Daniel and his friends were in Babylon, it was all about worshiping Nebuchadnezzar? Do you know that when Caesar was on the throne in Rome, it was all about saying Caesar is Lord? And what are they saying? No, Pharaoh, no, not, not Nebuchadnezzar, not Caesar. Jesus is Lord. God and God alone is to be worshiped. The word of their testimony, hey, it will be the word of the testimony in the future. You see, this passage speaks of the future. When Antichrist will demand he be worshipped and people will be put to death because they'll say, no, Jesus, Jesus is Lord. That's the word of their testimony and that they did not love their lives to the death. Jesus says, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And Paul proclaims, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And if that's true for you, you will overcome. As Pastor Sam closed out our message today, he spoke of those who chose to say no when asked to worship a person other than God, even though the cost for them to do so was very severe. But we can be convinced to worship something or someone other than God and think that it's a good idea to do so. 
I've seen people worship their favorite Bible teacher, their favorite worship band, even worship their favorite translation of the Word of God. Now this makes me think of what John recorded in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 22, 8 and 9 we read, Now I, John, saw and heard these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, See that you do not do that. For I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Even the Apostle John, who knew Jesus so well, was tempted to worship someone other than the Lord. An easy mistake given where he was at and what he was seeing. My encouragement to you would be to avoid worshiping anything other than the Lord your God. Even those who come representing him, regardless of how majestic and spiritually powerful they may appear to you. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.